Welcome to Hormones with Sam, your guide through the confusing world of hormone health. I'm your host, Sam Patrick, here to help you demystify and unlock the secrets to living a vibrant, happy life. Together, let's make hormones fun and sexy. Hey, and welcome to today's podcast on sleep and why hormones play such a big role in our sleep, our sleep quality, and why that can goof up. So where I want to start with this is my insight to how many people actually have disturbed sleep. It was probably 10 years ago now, and I was traveling around Australia speaking on behalf of an insurance company, a health insurance company, and I used to go and do corporate chats. You know, there'd be 20 people in the room, 100 people in the room, and there were various topics. This particular one, though, blew my brain, and that was about sleep. And I'll never forget, I was down in Melbourne, I was in a big factory and I just thought I'll start with a real open-ended question. Who in the room has really good sleep? Put your hand up. And uh, a few people put their hand up and I was like, "Um, maybe they didn't hear me, maybe they're shy. And I said, who in the room would rate their sleepers okay? Like, you know, kind of not great but not too bad. A few more people put their hand up. And then I said, "Um, (laughs) where's this going? Uh, Who in the room rates their sleep as poor? and 60% of the room put their hand up. And that for me was my first insight to how many people suffer with sleep problems in this country and no doubt around the world. You may be one of those, you might be lying beside someone who has sleep problems or no doubt you will know somebody who is struggling to sleep possibly tonight. So I want to unpack it for you. I want to talk about some of the health hacks that you can um, employ so you can have a better sleep or you can pass this knowledge along. So why do we sleep? Why does the body need sleep? It's been a big question, you know, why, why do we, can't we just keep moving on? But when we sleep, and it is a critical part of health, lots of things have the opportunity to balance out. Some of those are our fat cells. Some of those are our antibodies. Now, antibodies are the body's natural immune system. It's like the SAS. They create these imprints so that when we're attacked by viruses and bacteria, our body already has these antibodies ready to rock and roll. And that happens when we have sleep. Without that deep sleep, we don't get those antibodies being produced. And you might have known someone who got really run down because they weren't sleeping very well, and that's why. Now, the other thing that happens when we're in a deep sleep is we... Our brain or our imagination, our psyche, our uh, personality gets the time to explore and play without our body responding. And they believe that a lot of things happen in that um, that time frame, you know, in our dream time where we get to address relationship issues, find out where we fit in the world and a lot of great things can happen there and if we're having sleep problems, we forego that and that can really affect our mental health. So... What happens on a hormone level? And I'm really glad you asked. So the two key hormones that help us sleep are melatonin and the one we need to be low is cortisol. Now I'll try and use my arms and just imagine it's a a graph here. In the morning, first drop of light, our eyes are closed. But interesting, that light hits behind our, our eyelids and starts stimulating a hormone called cortisol. Now, cortisol does lots of things in the body. It's our waking hormone, which is where where we're going to talk about today in context, but it also helps us defend bacteria and viruses and starts off the inflammatory process, and it also goes up to the liver and starts the process of cholesterol making. But today we're going to talk about its role with sleep. 
So eyes are closed, a little bit of daylight starts breaking through the curtains and hits the back of our eyes and cortisol starts going up. Now cortisol should reach its peak around midday, so it goes up around 10, 12 o'clock during the day, hits its peak and then starts coming down later in the day. At that point, around about 7, 8 o'clock at night, the body releases the second hormone, these two work in tandem, called melatonin. You might have heard of melatonin. Melatonin's our, I'm feeling tired, rubbing eyes, time to go to sleep hormone. It peaks around 1am, 2am and will start dropping off around 4, 5 in the morning when cortisol starts kicking in. So these two hormones are doing tandem the whole time. They are responsible for something we call the diurnal variation. So if you're a student of natural medicines out there, you need to know that one. Uh, It's our 24-hour body clock. And it's really important that we allow that ebb and flow with our body clock to uh, do its job so we get that restorative sleep. In the old days, we used to talk about the four stages of sleep, stage one, stage two, stage three and stage four. Stage two was called REM. You might have heard of that term before, rapid eye movement. And that's when, I don't know if you've ever laid beside children or your partner and they're just starting to go to sleep and their eyes start flittering along and it looks like they're having a little fit underneath the eyelids, but that's when the eyes are doing rapid eye movement. And that's actually our dream state and it's one of the most important phases of sleep. We now don't refer to it as stage one, two, three, four, five. We just now call it rapid eye movement sleep or non-REM. Rapid eye movement sleep, when our body is doing that thing and it's having all the dreams and do the dichotomizing of the day and the planning and the cleaning out of the brain, when it's in that state, we need six to seven cycles of that per night to have adequate sleep. So the duration doesn't matter so much. Some people like I thrive on four. Some people need 10. A lot of people have a variation of what they believe is optimal for them. But we definitely know that six to seven REM cycles is critical for optimal health. So you might have a short REM cycle or you might have a longer REM cycle. And a cycle, I worked mine out, was about 40 minutes. So I need seven to 40 to 45 minutes. So I need seven of those every night and I know that I feel refreshed once I've had that. If I only get three of those cycles, I will wake up feeling tired and sleep deprived. You can work it out. It's a little bit technical. Um, You can do sleep studies. But for for the purpose of the exercise, I'm really just explaining what uh, some of the terminology behind the scenes is. Now, when the body goes to sleep, New data is coming out showing us that people need to have a drop in core temperature first so that they can slide into sleep and you generally need a cooler room at night to stay asleep. Now I want to talk about some times where sleep might be really hard. The most common one I've heard of is when people are stressed and that's because of the cortisol interplay with melatonin. I'm going to play a few scenarios for you because if you're affected by sleep disturbance at the moment, you might slide into one of these and really relate to what I'm saying. Now, remember I was saying before that cortisol goes up in the morning and should come down later in the afternoon. Cortisol goes up when we're stressed as well. It's one of the key hormones that when we get stressed, it'll go up. Now, if we try to go to bed when we're in a stress state or our cortisol is high, you're going to block melatonin being released. When melatonin's been blocked, you won't fall asleep. You'll lie there disturbed. Oh, I wish I could go to sleep. Start thinking about everything else. You meditate till the cows come home. 
Uh, well, actually, meditating with the cows might actually drop your cortisol, but you need to be conscious that you're dropping your cortisol levels. We want that cortisol high in the morning, lower in the afternoon, so melatonin can drop in. Some of the faux pas I see people commonly do in this modern day living is they'll do work, um, you know, go into a work office, cortisol's high, they'll come home, they'll be shattered, their cortisol's dropped really low, then they have this second wind. And they'll go, mm, I'll just jump on the computer and do some more stress activity, some more work. And so cortisol goes up again. And suddenly they're blocking their melatonin from being released. So I'm not a fan at all of doing brain work at the end of the day. In fact, a take-home would be do all your brain work when your brain is most active in the first part of the day, between 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock. That way you'll get the nice swing of the cortisol, it'll drop down and you can naturally let the melatonin go, um, kick in and you go to sleep. You should be able to, with a really clear mind, knock out everything you need to do. If you're feeling that you've got to work into the night and get stressed and have cortisol going up, um, just say goodbye to sleep pretty much, um, which is another reason why we shouldn't fight. <laughs> now this isn't going to turn into a sermon, but certainly having disharmony in the household later in the day will shift your cortisol back up again and can be a major cause why people aren't sleeping. If you have control over those things, please try and address them. They'll make a massive difference. Now, what are the habits that you need to have around sleep? We are creatures of habit, and it's super important that we honour the 24-hour clock, and it's super important that we have rituals that signal to our brain that we're, it's time for sleep. You know, it's sleep time. I used to do it with my babies. I used to go, I used to call it dream time during the day. I'd go, dream time, clap my hands, go, dream time, because I knew that the patterned response of them hearing dream time was like, oh, it's dream time. Mummy's putting on Mozart, time to sleep, even though it's the middle of the day. And at night time we can do the same thing to ourselves. It's like, you know, clap, clap, dream time. We start preparing ourselves for sleep. We start mentally going, right, the day's gone. I've done all the high brain stuff. I need to switch that down and put cortisol in a box so it's not high and around six, seven o'clock, dinner, okay, I'm preparing myself for bed, whatever signal that is for you. You might have a cup of chamomile tea. You might um, go and do some meditation. You might go and brush your teeth at eight o'clock and say to yourself while you're brushing your teeth, it's time for bed. I'm getting ready for bed. All these signals, all these rituals train your brain into it's sleep time and that's really important. Going into bed around 8, 9 o'clock with a cortisol level that's nice and low and you're nice and harmonised and not thinking about things and worried about what's happening tomorrow enables the melatonin to kick in. Now when melatonin kicks in, it does a beautiful job of making us sleepy, letting you have about five minutes of uh, latent sleep. We just lie there going, oh, yeah, it was a great day, my body's like this, and sleep. Ideally, it's about five-minute lead-in and melatonin will do its job. Now, what sort of environment do you need in order to sleep? I can tell you the environments that don't work for me, and you might relate to some of these. That's a bedroom right beside a train line or big noises outside. Ideally, a quieter place if you can ensure that. Nice and dark, so you might need to put curtains up or a sheet. Cooler than the outside temperature or um, shouldn't say that because you might be living in a cold area. I'm just thinking about today where I am and sweating. <laughs> Cooler is ideal. And if you can lower your body temperature before you go to bed, that will help melatonin kick in. So you might want to have a cooler shower. 
before you go to bed just to chill your body down a little, jump into bed, be nice and snuggle, and that will ensure that the melatonin kicks in. Another big area that you'll hear me talk about in my podcast are flushes and nighttime issues when it comes to sleep for ladies going through menopause. Now, this is very interesting because there's not a lot of research that equivocally shows that flushes should be worse at nighttime for women going through menopause. From the research I've read, this is what I, my understanding is. When we go to bed and we've got estrogen receptor sites on our cardiovascular system, so all our blood vessels and arteries have these little receptor sites, and they tell the brain when we're getting hot or cold and they cause what's called vasodilation or vasoconstriction. When we're lying there and the estrogen levels are a little bit all over the show or maybe it's the progesterone levels, we drop our core temperature and those receptor sites go into a panic mode and they go, Ooh, we've just gone too cold or they're just so confused because the hormone's not there or maybe there's too much of it. So what happens then is we get this massive vasodilation and at that point you'll end up with a flush and it'll wake you up. So that's the main reason why women will flush when they're asleep. It's a natural thing where their body just drops temperature. So you want to have clothing that fits that. You want to have natural clothing, things you can kick in on and off. You also want to do a saliva test. You want to sort those hormones out very quickly rather than uh, being driven insane by nighttime flushes. Other impeding issues to having a sound sleep are parasites. And I know this is a hormone podcast, but let's talk about parasites because they can disrupt the most strongest gut in the world. Now, parasites live in our gut primarily and inside our guts this beautiful uh, montage like a, a beautiful forest and a jungle and it has all the right species and trees. But if you put it in a parasite, it can disrupt all of that. It can eat the good trees, whatever metaphor you want to think for it, but it will agitate your whole body. At nighttime, parasites are very active. That's when they're most active, not during the day. So a lot of people will go to sleep and the parasites become active and you've got things happening in your tummy which will agitate your brain and it will give you broken sleep. In fact, the hair test is really cool because that will pick up whether you've got parasites or not. If you've got domestic animals, high chance you have got parasites. If you eat sushi, another high chance you've got parasites. They're pretty naturally occurring. They occur everywhere and getting a hair test, hair test done is a sure way to sort that one out. If any of you out there go to a chiropractor, I'm a big fan of having a bodywork person. With stress, we often get TMJ issues, so temporal mandibular jaw issues, and we'll grind in our sleep. If you lie beside someone who's a grinder, chances are they've either got stress or they've got a TMJ that needs a little bit of relaxing because that will interrupt their sleep. But more importantly, it might interrupt your sleep. So I encourage them to get along to someone who can help them just relax that. And I've touched on this a few times, and the big one is stress. So how do we d dial down at night? How do we not get stressed so our cortisol levels are high when we want them to be low so we can sleep? I'm, I really believe that watching certain shows on TV are not conducive for our unconscious mind. So murder shows, mystery shows, uh, even things on Facebook, you know, big challenges that the world's facing at the moment. If you go to bed with those things active in your brain, your brain wants to solve those problems. It throws it back into a stress state. Your cortisol levels are going to go high again and you're going to block melatonin. We don't want that. So try and do the stressy stuff if you need to do it at all during the day at other opportunities but certainly not the two hours leading into sleep. Other habits that you might want to introduce to augment your sleep are things like meditation, 
listening to sound and audio through a headset before you go to sleep. Sex is a really good way because it drops cortisol and it increases your oxytocin. These are powerful ways that you can employ to improve your sleep. We also know that people that do yoga and exercise during the day have a much greater quality of sleep. So there's lots of things that you can do that will improve your sleep. If you're struggling to sleep, you might want to address the stimulative foods that you're having in your life. How much coffee are you having? Are you getting run down so you're having an extra cup of coffee? Coffee hangs around in the body for up to 36 hours. So if you're having an extra coffee just to get you through a busy week, you might throw your sleep out. So bring that down as soon as you can. There are foods as well that can really stimulate the body and impede sleep. Gluten is one of those, so glutamates, things that are, um, you might have heard of gluten. We'll do a podcast on gluten because it's super important. It's used a lot in foods to thicken foods, to flavour foods, um, and just in overt things like breads and pastas have a lot of gluten in it, and that will stimulate the brain so you won't be able to sleep. Uh, Salicylates. Now, salicylates are a fruit group and you can look them up, but I'll go through the main ones here. Salicylates are very stimulating, naturally occurring ingredients or nutrients in foods, mostly found in orange and red foods, so tomatoes, capsicum, chilli, and they stimulate the body. Turmeric also can be quite high in salicylates, so having that later in the day might delay your sleep. So if you like those foods, have them earlier in the day, not towards the end of the day. And for some of you who love tomatoes, you might not be able to have them at all. In fact, you could test yourself for a week and just drop tomatoes and see if your sleep improves. A couple of other little chemicals in foods. There's alcohol, and we know that alcohol can be a massive food disrupt, uh, sleep disruptor because it interferes dopamine pathways and can lead to a blood sugar increase, which will drop and it will wake you up. Nitrates sulfurs, other things in wines and foods may also play havoc with your body and stimulate it before you go to bed. Try and eat as clean as you can. When you get food, read the label. If it's got any E numbers, get rid of it. Try and go as natural as you can, see if that improves your sleep. Stress hormones play a massive role in our ability or inability to sleep. And that's because when you're stressed, your body doesn't want to sleep. It's on guard because it believes it's about to be attacked by something and it's in survival mode. Stress hormones such as adrenaline, noradrenaline, testosterone, cortisol, they go up and they will stop sleep. They'll stop melatonin being produced. So it's super important that we manage stress. Now, if you think about it, if you, can you imagine trying to relax and be asleep while your brain's half open waiting for something to come in and attack it? It's just they're, they're opposite states. So even if you've got stressful events going on in your life, You have to come up with some internal narrative that says, I'm done with the day, nothing's going to harm me, I'm safe, it's time to sleep, deep breathe, meditation and bring those stress hormones down. Ideally, we don't draw upon sleepers. Now, I I haven't really talked about sleepers this podcast, but let's um, refer to them because it's an easy lean out for a lot of people. There's quite a few different ways of getting people to sleep. Melatonin as a hormone, um, I've had mixed success with it, not a massive fan of it. I'd rather see people increase their cortisol during the first part of the day, do their brain thinking then and drop it down and let melatonin do its thing. So I'm not a fan of melatonin supplements. That's just me. In terms of sedatives, Valium, benzodiazepines, all they do is sedate you. 
So you don't get those beautiful phases of sleep. You don't get the rapid eye movement sleep that is so imperative for restorative sleep. So often when people have sleeping tablets like a benzodiazepine, they'll wake up feeling groggy like they've got a headache. And with time, it can lead to depression and addiction. Other, other sleepers, uh, I won't go through the names, but they do similar things. They just knock the body into a, a state that's not awake. It's almost like an anaesthetic. It doesn't help return any natural pattern at all. So powerfully you can return your sleep patterns through honouring the 24-hour sh- pattern. Now if you're a shift worker, and quite a few people are shift workers, this can be really tricky. You need to adjust that for your time frame. So if you're coming home at 9am, you need to start treating 9 to 10 o'clock in the morning as if it was the night time and having those sleep habits then as well. So you just shuffle it all around. And ideally, you go on nights for a a stint rather than one night here and there because that can really throw your body out. See if you can um, put a timetable together that works better for you if it comes to sleep. Now, in summary, we've talked about a lot of things with sleep, the reasons why you might go out um, of whack due to foods or stress, menopause. From a hormone perspective, it's really important that we get that beautiful cortisol level during the day and dropping it down late at night, not doing brainy activities or stressy activities and letting melatonin kick in so it can do its thing and put you to sleep. If you would like to see what your hormones are doing, there's some links below and we'd love it if you liked the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcast and please share it because as I alluded to at the start, there's a lot of people in the world struggling with sleep and it might be one thing that you say that helps them get some great sleep again.